Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, happy Easter, everybody. We're happy to welcome those of you back on campus. Thank you for being here. Glad to have a number of guests visiting with us this weekend. I hope the service will be a blessing to you. Thank you for being here. And those of you who are watching online, we stream on three different platforms. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing the services. We have thousands of people that join us each week through that medium. And so we're so grateful to you for that. Before we receive communion this morning, I just want to talk to you a little while about an an interesting character, one of the apostles and the struggles that he had dealing with some of the problems that he faced surrounding the death of our Savior and even his resurrection. His name was Thomas. We a lot of times refer to him as Doubting Thomas. And when you really look at him, as we want to look at him for a little while, you'll see he's not unlike any of us in this room. He's not unlike any of us watching online. Thomas was dealing with some of the things that we all have to deal with from time to time. But Jesus brought to Thomas and he brings to us all through the message of Easter, the most hopeful message that any of us could hope to embrace. And the message is simply this, Jesus Christ has overcome our biggest enemy. He's overcome the thing that most of us fear more than anything else in the world, and that is death. No one had ever conquered death, not in their own power before. It was the great enemy, it was the great equalizer. It was something that everyone would have to face In fact, when you look in Genesis 5, you see the summary of all civilizations given, and it just simply says, they lived and they died. They lived and they died. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed, it's an appointment unto us at some point to die. I know that's not the feel-good thought of the day, but I'm just suggesting to you it is the reality of life, and I don't think you're really prepared to live until you are prepared to die. And so Jesus brings the hope that we needed so desperately, and the hope is simply this. That experience called death does not end at all. That experience called death is merely a a doorway, a gateway into eternity. When Paul would speak of death in 2 Corinthians 5, he said for a person who knows Jesus, it's no more than saying goodnight down here to say good morning up there. Absent from the body, Paul would say present with the Lord. You know what happens the moment our loved ones leave us? And we use that term, they experience death, death is separation. The minute our loved ones are no longer with us, literally what happens? They just say good night down here to this earthly experience in the very moment. They say good morning up there to that heavenly experience. But Thomas was struggling a little bit. He, he was trying to wrap his mind around this idea that anything or anyone could live once they've died. And I can tell you from my experience with death, one of the overwhelming things that hit me all the time, it hits me all the time since Cindy has been in heaven, is the finality of it. It's just that idea that, that, you know, she's not coming back. She's not going to be home anymore. That's probably the hardest thing to navigate. And I talk to people all the time, probably some of you in the room, and and you would agree with me. You'd probably say, Bill, that's something I've dealt with my dad or my mom or a child. It's just the, the finality of it. And when it hits you in the face and it becomes a reality of your life, you you can have dark moments. (laughs) Remember, Thomas walked with Jesus, and Thomas was one of the 12. 
And yet Thomas really doubted, Thomas really struggled, and Thomas had a hard time navigating through this idea that Jesus could die, but he then could live again. And so Thomas was a man who is, as I said earlier, not unlike all of us, and I find some comfort when I study Thomas because I've kind of experienced some of the things he experiences from time to time. In fact, if you look with me in the Bible, I want to give you just a brief narrative and comment on it before we receive communion. But in John 20, you see that Jesus has resurrected. Mary has gone to the grave. Remember, Mary went to the grave not to celebrate or worship a risen Savior. She went to the grave to finish the embalming process. I mean, even Mary didn't really realize that Jesus had had actually rose from the grave, and Jesus met her and encountered her there. And then she's so excited that she rushes back to the upper room, that place of the Lord's Supper, that place where Jesus washed Simon Peter's feet, that place now, guys, where the apostles had gathered. Do you have a special place that you go to uh, that keeps you kind of in contact with someone who's not with you anymore? Maybe I've heard people say, I like to go to the beach. It brings back memories of my, my loved one. Or I like to go to the mountains. And when I go to the mountains, it kind of brings back some great memories for me. And sometimes I can visit these places and it brings back the memory of that person who's not here anymore. That was the upper room. In the upper room, the disciples had gathered because that was the last time they were able to be in the room with Jesus and they were able to be there and and talk with him and visit with him. And so Mary knew exactly where they were. She knew they were going to be in that upper room. So she races to the upper room and she tells them, Jesus is alive. Guys, I've seen it with my own eyes. I mean, I I, I saw him alive. Just as he said, he's back. He's alive. The apostles are excited and rejoicing, and suddenly the Bible says Jesus appears in their midst and says, peace be still. And they worship him in that upper room. But guys, when you read the record and when you see the first appearance of Jesus to the disciples, there's somebody missing. It's Thomas. He ain't there. (laughs) Have you found you process things differently sometimes than your friends or family? Have you found when you go through something, you you don't process what you're going through exactly like someone else? I've noticed through uh, this season in my life that some people take great comfort in company. They like to be around a lot of people, and that brings them comfort. And so they'll, they'll hang with their friends, they'll pull family around them, and that brings them comfort. And some of you may be that way, that you you, you like to kind of hang with, with a group, and that brings you comfort. And then you have the other person that likes to isolate or insulate a little bit, and they kind of pull away from the crowd, and they need some quiet time, and they need some solitude. They need some serenity. That was Thomas. So I'm not critical of him. I'm just suggesting to you that Thomas had kind of pulled back, and he had kind of pulled away. And so the text here says in John 20, Thomas called Didymus, meaning twin, of the 12, was not with the disciples. He wasn't there when Jesus came. So the other disciples say, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nail was and put my hand into his side, he said, I I, I can't accept this. I won't believe. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. 
Then Jesus said, because you've seen, you've believed, but blessed are all those who are in this room and those who are watching online who have not seen with their eyes and yet still have believed. So I'm not really critical of Thomas. I'm not critical that he pulled back and I'm not critical that he stayed away. And I'm not critical that he missed Jesus when Jesus first appeared. Because I understand the first thing I want to talk to you about, and that is the difficult experience of his life. I, I, I don't know, but what I have found in this season of my life, another thing I've learned is everybody is going through something. I don't care how successful they are. I don't care uh, how well put together they are. If you peel the layers of their life back a little bit, you're going to find out everybody has been through or they're going through something. You don't go through life unscathed. It's not possible to live your life without going through heartaches and heartbreaks and those soul-crushing experiences that are just inevitable and inescapable in life. Everybody is hurting on some level. Everybody has gone through something. And so it, it always helps me to pause the, the, the you know, pop the, pop, uh, hit the brake a little, hit the pause button a little bit. When I encounter someone who, who uh, you know, a little angry, maybe they're a little abrupt, or maybe they're a little standoffish, because I really don't know where they are, and I don't really know what they've been through. If you were to encounter Thomas, you might have been critical of him during this time. You might have said, man, you're on staff with Jesus. I mean, you're supposed to have a smile on your face and you're supposed to be on top of everything and yet you've withdrawn. I mean, you, you, you didn't even go to church. You're, you're kind of you're, you're an outlier right now. But you know what, what was going on in Thomas's life is what most people didn't understand and that is this man was in turmoil. He was going through a dark moment. He was going through one of the, the biggest tests of his faith. And I've told you before, you really don't know how strong your faith is until it gets tested. I mean, we're in this big old holy huddle right now, and so we can all have strong faith because we're in this protected, safe zone. We're in a conclave of the completely convinced. <laughs> and I'm just suggesting when we break this huddle and we go out into the real world, that's where your faith gets tested. Man, when Jesus goes to the cross and Thomas saw Jesus die, I mean, it's indicative from the text because Thomas says, unless I can touch his scars, unless I can see the wound in his side, I won't believe. Well, how did he know about scars and a wound if he didn't see that? Part of Thomas's confusion was in the fact that he saw Jesus die, and how could anyone who died like that live again? There is a... Uh, a warped theology that goes around at Easter time called the swoon theory. And they use it to explain the resurrection. And they say Jesus didn't actually uh, die on the cross, that he lapsed into some comatose state and because of the dampness of the tomb that he awakened. And so Jesus didn't literally die, but that's just not true. It's not true theologically and it's tr not true historically. You see, the, the Romans were good at putting people to death. When they crucified you, you are graveyard dead. <laughs> there is no doubt about it. You are gone. You are no, they made certain. Their lives were on the line. If anyone they crucified survived crucifixion, they're the next one on the cross. So they made sure you're gone. In fact, that record that talks about the wound in his side, that means they had to have the bodies off of the cross before sundown because it was the Jewish Sabbath. And so by Jewish law, they had to have those uh, bodies off the cross and Rome it respected the Jewish tradition. And so to expedite or to make sure Jesus was actually dead, the centurion standing by his side takes his spear and thrusts it into the side of Jesus. 
One of the gospel writers says, out of that womb there flowed a substance that looked like blood mingled with water. There's a medical doctor that took that narrative and he studied a little bit and he said that around our heart, there is a sac called a pericardium. And if your heart or my heart experiences trauma, that the body will pump like a clear liquid into that sac to cushion the heart from further trauma. Meaning that he said that undoubtedly Jesus had a heart that was ruptured. You might even say he died on the cross from a broken heart. So that when that spear pierces his side, the writer says what came out of that, and they weren't scientifically savvy as they are today, and he said it looked like blood mingled with water. What's the point? Jesus literally died. Thomas knew that. I mean, part of the confusion of his mind is how could someone who died that death how could they really live again? And I respect that you say you've seen that, but unless I see it, I just can't believe it. Death by crucifixion was the most uh, horrendous. It was an incredibly painful death. In fact, we have a word that we use to describe pain today. It comes out of the cross. We call it excruciating. X is out of crucify, excruciating. It is a pain that describes the pain that Jesus endured, and we use it to describe an intense pain that we may endure. What's my point? My point is don't miss the fact that Simon Peter's doubts and Simon Peter's uh, distance was tied to the confusion of his mind and his heart. You remember in John 14 when Thomas is in the room with Jesus at the Last Supper and he's telling them that he's going to the cross to die. You remember what Jesus said to them, the opening line of John 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. He didn't say, let not your life be troubled because he was going to the cross. He just said, I don't want what you're about to experience get inside of you. I don't want what's going on out here get into you. I don't want your troubled life to give you a troubled heart. And by the way, we're, as I said, we're not going to go through life without trouble. The problem is when the trouble we go through gets in us, it can make you bitter. It can make you cynical. It can change who you are. People will start uh, saturating your presence with their absence. And I'm just suggesting to you that if you aren't careful, the experiences of life can change us and not in a good way. And this was happening to Thomas. So if you have that picture in your mind, think about what happened next. You, you have this difficult experience that led, watch this now, to a divine encounter. You know what's incredible? When they got, they got Thomas up into the upper room, do you know what's incredible about this? And man, don't miss this. Jesus came back the second time just for Thomas. Now let that sink in. And Jesus knew what Thomas had said. He knew, Thomas, touch me, I'm real. He knew Thomas had said, unless I can touch him, I won't believe. Well, Jesus knew all about that. You know what's amazing about that? Jesus doesn't call him out. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't say, seriously, Thomas, you remember what I did for you three days ago on the cross and you have the audacity to doubt me? Are you serious right now, Thomas? Man, he could have just thumped him and Thomas would still be spinning somewhere out there bouncing off planets. He didn't do that. You know what that says to me in that moment? The, the, listen, the fact that Jesus loved Thomas enough to come back to the upper room the second time, that says to me God doesn't give up on people. We have a tendency to write people off. We, we have the tendency to turn our back on people. Do you know Jesus doesn't do that? 
In fact, Jesus was waiting and Jesus was watching and Jesus was aware of where Thomas was. And by the way, he's aware of where you are. I talk to people every weekend that have gone through experiences, maybe not unlike mine, maybe it's not the loss of a spouse, maybe a job, a career, the death of a dream. And man, when they've gone through that, there comes this deep disappointment with God. You say, man, I was checking all the boxes. This doesn't make sense. And many times, instead of that experience uh, driving them closer to God, it drives them away. And I'm not hard on people like that. I get them. I get them. Maybe they had a bad experience in church. I tell people all the time, if you didn't get hurt in church, you just didn't go long enough. Hang in there, baby. Somebody will run you down to the glory of God. I'll tell you my story right on the side of yours. I'm just suggesting to you that, look, the bottom line is you and I are going to go through things. We're going to have experiences. And sometimes those experiences drive us away from God. Sometimes you get angry at God. Have you ever been mad at God? <laughs> I heard about somebody one time, and they were processing some anger at God, and they had a friend. They said, well, you ought to pray. Just share that with God. It's okay. And then they said, I couldn't tell God I'm mad at him. What? As though he doesn't know? Look, prayer isn't making God aware. Prayer is just me acknowledging the fact that, that I know he knows. So you know what you have to do sometimes? You have to pray some mad prayers. You ever prayed a mad prayer? Just fire that thing off. Send it off. Just pray you a mad prayer. It won't offend God, and it'll make you feel better. It's good psychology, baby. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm saying, listen, God loves you enough to allow you and me to be mad at him, to allow us to misunderstand him, to allow us to have confusion. I mean, that, Simon Peter, I mean, all of the, Simon Peter quit. <laughs> we'll explore that a little bit next weekend. I mean, in Thomas, he, he pulled away. He, he's, he's, you know, uh, Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, said, I will never speak about God again. That's a prophet. <laughs> For the love of God, who do we think we are? <laughs> if these people in the Bible could have these moments. But I don't want you to miss the fact that Jesus showed up for Thomas. And I believe this morning it's no accident you're in the room and it's no accident some of you are watching me right now online. Yeah, I think it's just God telling you, I'm still here. I'm still here. I mean, the Bible says he'll leave the 90 and 9 and go after the one. Maybe you're that one. And you know what he did? The last thing he did is he gave, he gave Thomas what I call definitive evidence. He gave him his presence. Now, his presence was in a physical form. To you and I, we see his presence by faith. Because Jesus said, Thomas, because you've physically seen me, you believe. But there's going to be people after I ascend to heaven that won't get the chance to physically see me, but they'll still believe, and they're going to be just as blessed as you are. Well, that's talking about you and me. How do I see Jesus? I see him through the eyes of my heart. When Paul wrote in Ephesians, he said, I pray that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, so that they can see the truth about God's love. Did you know your, eye, your heart has eyes? You can see with your heart. You have an ability by faith to see things with your heart. And Jesus showed himself to Thomas, and, and Thomas reached and touched him. And by the way, let, let me cover this on Easter weekend. Jesus came out of the grave bodily. It wasn't a spiritual resurrection. 
And I say that because there's some bad theology that says Jesus didn't bodily come out of the grave, but he came out of the grave spiritually. And then they go on to say, because he's the first fruits of all of those who will die, then he represents all of the people in heaven. And the people in heaven, are you ready? Are a bunch of disembodied spirits. That's where we get the idea of, of like ghosts strumming harps on clouds. It's from that teaching. Like heaven's a big old Casper convention, right? Jesus came out of the grave, not a spiritual resurrection. He came out bodily. One of the gospels put it this way when he asked Thomas. He says, Thomas, listen, a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see me have. What kind of bodies are the resurrected bodies? Bodies of flesh and bone. Now, they're not powered by blood. They're powered by the spirit, which means they're eternal. So when Jesus came out of the grave and Thomas saw him, he saw him as in a body of flesh. And by the way, he recognized Jesus. You say, well, we know our loved ones when we get to heaven. I love what that old country preacher said. He said, man, I'd hate to think we'll have less sense in heaven than we had on the earth. The Bible says we'll know there as we are known here. You'll know them there as you knew them here. Luke 16, that exchange between the poor man in heaven and the rich man in hell, they knew each other. They recalled memories while here on the earth. You'll have recall. You'll have memory. You'll be able to reconnect. You'll pick up where those broken strands of your life were severed through death. And what an incredible, wonderful thing that Jesus gave to Thomas. And by the way, that changed his life. Those guys walked out of that upper room and literally lived out the rest of their life for the faith of Jesus. Preaching everywhere they went, Jesus Christ died and is risen again. And by the way, all of the apostles died a martyr's death. You know what that tells me? A person might live for a lie, but they won't die for one. And these men all died believing and preaching because they were eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. It changed their life. And just before communion, as I close, can I tell you, the greatest message and the greatest hope I can give you is what uh, Thomas found in that upper room. And guys, that is the fact that when death does knock at our door and takes our loved ones from us, we're going to see them again. I do, as most of you do, me and the kids. We'll go out to the cemetery and we'll visit Cindy's grave. Then we'll go over and see our little grandbaby's grave. We'll spend a little time there with Evie's. We know they're not there. We know they're in heaven. But it's the place we go to remember them, and it's the place that we go to recall the memories and honor them. You, you do that. You know what I'm saying. But I can tell you guys, when I get back in my truck and I leave, the most peaceful thought I have is I'm going to see that girl again. And when I see her again, I'm going to understand all the things that I didn't understand down here. I don't have the mind of God. I've told you that before. <laughs> Duh. I don't know what he knows. I don't know how he knows. But third John says, beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. You know what's going to happen in the moment? I'm going to tell you this on an Easter weekend, and I'm done. You know what's going to happen the moment my life on this earth ends and I step into the presence of God? I'm going to have the mind of Christ, perfect in every way. I used to think when I got to heaven, I'm going to have to ask Jesus a lot of questions. You ever had that thought? We got to talk. 
There's no hymn they sing in my dad's church, and the Lord knows I won't sing it. I don't want to stampede the herd. But it just went, we'll talk it over in the by and by. We'll talk it over, my Lord and I. I'll ask the reasons, and he'll tell me why when we talk it over in the by and by. I used to think, man, that's kind of cool. Do a little Q&A with Jesus. Then I thought, well, man, there's going to be multiplied millions of us. We're only going to be there for eternity. I mean, Ramsey, you're up. I mean, well, Lord, back in 72, when she broke up with me, I mean, I don't know where you start. And then it dawned on me, heaven's not going to be a big Q&A with God. That's not what it is. It won't be necessary because we'll have his mind. And so with that in mind, I, I thought the first, the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven, and I have the mind of Christ, I think about Cindy and Evie, the stuff we dealt with, and all the questions that we still have. First thing I'm going to do when I step into heaven is I'm just going to do this. I'm going to go, oh, okay. All right. I get it now. I get it. You're too good to do wrong, and you're too wise to make a mistake. It didn't make sense down there, but it makes sense now. So what do I do between here and there? I've talked about the sweet by and by, but how do I deal with the nasty now and now? <laughs> Let me tell you what works for me. I choose to trust him. I just choose to trust him. I take everything I don't understand, and God knows that's a lot. I take everything I don't understand, and I just lay it at his feet. And I say, God, this makes no sense, and I don't expect you to explain it to me. But I trust you. You know what that does? Gets me through the day. Keeps him with the right attitude. Keeps him motivated to help people that are hurting, just like me. I hope it helps you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's all we have to anchor to. In such an uncertain world, we tend to be like Thomas. We tend to pull away, have dark moments of doubt. But thank you, Lord, that you love us enough that you keep showing up. Sometimes you show up on the beach and sometimes in the mountains and sometimes on a boat, sometimes on a river and sometimes, Lord, just walking down the street, sometimes in the house, you show up. And you just say, child, you got this because I got you. And it's going to be okay. So I pray for my friends that are struggling on this Easter that they'll trust you. They'll trust you. Father, I pray for those who never placed their faith in you. This might be the moment. They just swallow their pride and say, Lord, with everything I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart and forgive my sin. I pray that we'll be mindful of the death that you died and the cross, the price you paid so that we could have heaven, have hope. As we hold the bread and remind us, Father, that that is your body broken. As we hold the drink, that that is your blood shed. I pray you'll bless the elements. And Father, I pray you'll receive our worship. I pray that it'll be meaningful to you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. 
We look forward to seeing you next week.